Welcome to episode 24 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on March 23rd, 2017. Me? My name is Brad Galloway, and I'm editor at GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this here show. With me, as always, is Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. Corey, how you living, sir? Well, I am uh, I'm doing all right, Brad. I am officially over my move. I know we've been talking about it for about 100 shows so far. Um, from Omaha to New Orleans, I'm officially in the New Orleans area, and I am podcasting from the same desk, but a different room, uh, about halfway across the country. But I am doing well, thank you. Right on. Have you had a shrimp po' boy yet? I haven't. You know, it's really sad. I've been here for about a week so far, um, and there's all this, like, amazing food around me, but, uh, like, the, the living situation is weird. Our gas has not been turned on yet, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes because of some stuff with the woman that owns the house, but... um uh, so we've been eating out a lot, but we've been playing it really safe. Like we literally got Chipotle two times in a row. Like we had it for dinner oh, two nights what? ago. I know it's so sad. Like I'm in New Orleans and I'm eating Chipotle. Like we got it. Oh, I know, I know. Oh. It's really disappointing. But um, I've had some. Uh, I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but I went to this little bistro like the first or second night we were here. That was pretty good. Um, but it wasn't even like seafood or anything. I had like a lamb like wrap thing with like cucumber and stuff and it sounds weird but it was actually delicious um so i have not been diving into the food scene as quickly as i thought i was going to but uh you know i'm here for a while so i've got plenty of time to figure it out i i hear that and i'm gonna let you off the hook this time but everybody in america knows new orleans is one of the premier food capitals of america i'm gonna need you to get on that bro i'm gonna need some i'm gonna need some reports i'm gonna need some uh some Creole food, some uh, Cajun food. You kind of need some uh, seafood. I got it. I need these reports, bro. You cannot be eating Chipotle. Well, by the next time we record, I'll try to eat something a little more authentic. The funny thing is that um, on my Facebook page, like I'm, I'm not one of those people who likes to like throw all of my like life events on Facebook or social media. I like to keep things pretty downplayed because I, I hate when people post things on Facebook that are like, oh, I just got a new job or blah, blah, blah. Like that kind of stuff annoys me. But I posted, you know, that I moved to New Orleans a couple days ago. And so, like, people have started recommending to me restaurants to eat at while I'm here. And there's a guy I know from Twitter who uh, I'm friends with on Facebook also. And he lives, uh, like, about an hour or two outside of New Orleans. But he comes into the city every once in a while. And uh, he, like, started messaging me on Facebook. And he's like, all right, don't go to this place that that person talked about. Don't go to this place. Don't go to these places instead because he, like, knows the good, like, the non-touristy good places in New Orleans. So I thought that was pretty funny. He gave me, like, 30 restaurant recommendations yesterday while wow. I was messaging with wow. him. Wow. Okay, I want 30 reports by the time we record <laughs> this Sunday, bro. I want, I want to hear all about it. I want to hear all about that food because I am a – for people that don't know, I, I'm pretty big into food. Uh, we cook a lot at my house. We like to go out to restaurants. We try lots of different food. We're pretty adventurous when it comes to food. So I, I'm just putting you on notice, bro. I will not accept another Chipotle report. That's not going to happen anymore. I will do my best this weekend to uh, right. eat some more uh, more authentic food here and then get back to you the next time we record. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, frequent listeners of the show will notice that we have not quite gotten back on track to our every Sunday schedule. We started out real strong. And we have not missed a week, which I'm really proud to say, but our release schedule has been a bit irregular because of life. Uh, stuff happens, things change, etc., etc., etc. You know how it goes. But 
we are hopeful that we'll be back on track and once again hitting the virtual airwaves regularly every Sunday starting real soon, possibly even starting this weekend. We shall see. Uh, but just heads up uh, about that and apologies to the listeners who may be wondering like where our regular show is. Sorry. Um, you know, I'm glad we haven't missed anything, but we're going to be getting back on track soon. Real soon. Promise. 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 Anyway, let's get the ball rolling with our traditional few minutes of unnecessary banter that's not necessarily game related. Corey, why don't you start us off? I think you may want to talk about the move. I mean, you're down in New Orleans now. What, uh, what do you got to say about that? Well, uh, I mean, we haven't recorded in like a week and a half, and I've been like fucking busy as hell for the, pretty much that entire week and a half. Uh, the move to from Omaha to New Orleans is pretty wild. Like I drove, I split it up into three chunks. I drove three hours to Kansas City, stayed with my mom for a night, and then I drove about six hours to Little Rock and stayed in a hotel. And then I drove, it's about six to seven hours, then another six to seven hours to New Orleans proper. And we had not signed the lease on the place that we're living now whenever I got here last week. So we were living out of a hotel. Me and Patrick and the two cats were living, were living out of a tiny hotel room for like four days, which was, um, it was actually okay. It sounds worse than it actually was, but, um, we lived out of a hotel and we are renting a, it's kind of like, it's almost like a duplex. Like it's a house but the woman who's renting it lives on one side and we live on the other side, but it doesn't look like what you would think a duplex would look like. It's kind of like an old grandma house and we just moved in and it's been like nonstop like commotion with people, the movers coming in and delivering all of our shit. And then we had, um, we had to have a separate moving company come in to assemble some of our furniture because we have this like big ass wardrobe in the bedroom and they literally came out two separate times to assemble the wardrobe and still have not finished it and have to send a different person out to like finish the rest of it because I guess it's so like I don't know like it technical or something um and, <laughs> yeah, those technical wardrobes, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's like this like big-ass Ikea wardrobe, and I thought Ikea stuff, like, I know Ikea's infamous for, like, having to build it, but usually Ikea stuff isn't that hard to build, but, I mean, hey, like, I, I don't want to sit here and complain because we had an entire moving company move us, so I'm not going to be that guy that's like, oh, my life is so hard when this moving company moved us. Um, but the, the real kicker about the apartment so far is that I guess um, the woman who owns it ha- had rented it before, and she took like a half a year or so off from renting it to people because I guess the last people that rented it from her were like not really that great or they were like loud or obnoxious or something. And her her side of the house is literally attached to it. So like her living room, our, our living room wall and her bedroom wall are like share the same wall. So it's kind of like, you know, if we're loud, then it's kind of shitty for her. But um, so we get here and almost the entire side of the house is uh, gas. It's gas um, heat. Uh, we have a gas stove, um, gas to heat the water and all that stuff. Well, because she hadn't rented it out in more than six months, they had to. the city had to come and do a gas inspection. So she had her plumber come out and look at things and there was like a bunch of shit that needed to be updated with her gas system. So they came like two days in a row to work on that. And then the city inspector came yesterday and then I called the gas company yesterday. So we have been without gas for almost a week, which 
not to be disgusting, but I have to be honest with you, Brad. I have not showered in almost a week because our water heater. Oh, God. Is, I just threw up on my mouth a little bit. I'm sorry, but like our water heater is on gas and Patrick tried to take a couple of cold showers and couldn't handle it. And I um, like I'm not about to set foot in the shower when it's ice cold. So fingers crossed tomorrow, the gas people are going to be here to turn on the gas officially. And I can finally take a fucking shower again tomorrow because luckily I haven't been doing like any like really sweaty gross stuff i've been kind of sitting around and coordinating moving and unpacking boxes but uh so i'm not like you know super swampy at the moment but like oh I, god super swampy <laughs> but uh i would like to take a shower as you could imagine and uh i just can't do it yet because we don't have any heat so we can't use the stove we can't use the oven we can't get hot water in any of the sinks or the shower and it's just kind of uh kind of a fucking mess and i kind of wish the woman who had rented the place to us had been a little more on top of her shit because if she had then the gas person probably could have been here like a day or two after we moved in and it would have been solved but you know it, it is what it is i guess you got to do like the pioneers do man when these when these uh these people going west like back in the day in their conestoga wagons you know they didn't have showers back then they just got a, like a pot filled it with water they burned something warm up that water and they got washcloths just like the pioneers you should be doing that dude you know, I was actually thinking, not about, you know, heating water like that, but I was thinking about filling up the bathtub with, like, two inches of water and just, like, dipping a washcloth into the cold water and, like, washclothing my body off with soap and and then, like, hoping that I could handle, like, cold water <laughs> to, to rinse myself <laughs> off because I, I feel kind of gross, but... I just need to hold out for like one more day and tomorrow should be the day that I can take a real shower again. All right. Well, do Wilson Phillips and hold on for one more day. Let us know. Uh, hopefully you'll be clean by the time we record again because you're sounding really filthy right now and I don't know <laughs> if I can handle it. Is my sense like coming through the microphone it's, into your It's place? a little much, but we're friends. I'm going to let it go this time, but please take care of yourself, sir. Well, uh, I've complained enough about the move, so tell me what's going on with you. Um, not a lot for banter this week. Just a couple of really quick things. First off, I want to say, uh, well, I guess just a memorial goodbye to Bernie Wrightson. He is a really famous comic book artist who I've admired uh, for many, many years. I mean, he's been a very famous uh, artist doing lots of horror comics. He did, uh, I mean, of course, a lot of superhero comics, too, but I think he's probably best known for his horror. He had a really unique style when it came to um, using the blacks in his uh, in his drawings. And there was something just very gross and like he had this just this very distinct style whenever you saw a bernie wrightson piece like you knew immediately who drew it because it just it just screamed him and it was very iconic uh very creepy something about his noses something about like uh muscles something about like moist textures he just he did a really great job uh most probably famous for uh his run on swamp thing he was also he did a very famous run with um, frankenstein but he did, I mean, he did everything. He was all over the place. I mean, he did, he did every superhero. He was just a really well-known uh, name. And he passed away a couple days ago. So he will be missed. Uh, I was definitely a fan. Very sorry to, uh, to hear that he is no longer with us. Um, speaking of comics-related stuff, uh, just really quick mention of Iron Fist on Netflix. This is a really weird thing. Um, Netflix has been doing the Marvel TV universe. I mean, I guess there's that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show on NBC or whatever, which I'm not a fan of that at all. I didn't think it was that good. But Netflix, you know, they started out with Daredevil. Then they did Jessica Jones. Then they did Luke Cage. And now they're doing Iron Fist. And they're eventually going to, like, team all these guys up um, in another series, which is kind of cool. I like what they've been doing. I think most of the series have been fairly well received. I mean, they're not perfect by any means. And Iron Fist is the most recent one. And I got to say, I'm five episodes in, and I think it's pretty good. It's not perfect. 
it's not the best, but I think it's really good for what it is. And I feel really um, bad for the series because people have had their knives out since before the series came out for a number of reasons. And I just, people are being really, really vicious to it right now. I think unnecessarily so. Every time I get on Twitter, uh, somebody I know is just tearing the show a new one for one reason or another. I mean, it, oh, Iron Fist, I don't know if anybody knows, but he's, he was created like in the, I don't know, the 60s or 70s um, when it was kind of like that black exploitation era when that kind of stuff was going on. And so he was like a white guy who learned Kung Fu. And so people were really upset that, oh, you know, white man is appropriating something that belongs to uh, the Chinese culture and all that. And, you know, true, like I'm not arguing that, but it's just a product of its time. Right. And so we are in a different time. And a lot of people wanted to see that role played by an Asian actor, which I think is fine. I would have no problem with that myself. But the creative team decided to stick with uh, the original formula. And to be fair, I think they were in a bit of a no-win situation because they stick with the original formula of a white guy learning Kung Fu. Then it's like white culture appropriating uh, Chinese culture. But, I mean, honestly, if they had flipped it and it had been an Asian guy, then it's like, oh, every Asian person knows Kung Fu. So it's like, I think they were over a barrel either way, which is unfortunate. But as someone who has liked this character for many years and has just kind of accepted it as part of the Marvel Universe and as a product of its time, I think the take they've done so far is good. I haven't finished the series, but I'm enjoying it. Um, it's not, you know, uh, my favorite series in the world. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's better than people are saying it is. And I'm, I, you know, it's, it's just really sad to me to see people rip it up. So I've been having a good time. I think it's a thumbs up so far, and I'm sure I'm going to get tons of hate mail and disrespect for saying that I like it, but I think it's not bad at all. I think it fits perfectly alongside of the other uh, Netflix shows, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how it wraps up and how it uh, combines with the other shows in the future. So I like it. A lot of people I know like it, but there's a lot of people out there who want to see it fail for whatever reason. That's just kind of sad. So anyway, that's my banter for this week. And now that we've got banter out of the way, I think it's probably time to get into our usual weekly discussion about what's going on and what we're playing. Um, Kind of a strange week because we're recording off of our schedule uh, and it's been kind of a weird weird couple of days couple of week and a half or whatever um so tonight's gonna be a little this little that but we're gonna roll through our topics and we're gonna see where that gets us um cory i want you to start tonight and i know that you've been playing a game called kona um i know that kona is like a city in hawaii and i know it's also a coffee that's all i know about kona and i suspect your game has nothing to do with either one of those what's up with kona uh, right, you are, because um, although Kona might be in Hawaii, this game actually takes place in Canada, northern Canada in 1970, which is just about as far away from Hawaii as you can get, <laughs> and like the Americas, if you will. Uh, I started this game last night, and I really had no idea what to expect going in. Um, you were kind enough to extend a review copy to me, and um, all I pretty much Googled it, looked it up, and it looked like sort of like a first-person adventure, a kind of mystery game, and I thought, all right, like, I'm in, because um, anything that sort of resembles like the walking simulator genre, I am pretty much there for, and started it last night. Um, it's, uh, the storyline is you are a private detective named Carl Faubert, I think is how you pronounce his last name. And he is hired by this sort of like divisive, rich industrialist tycoon named William Hamilton, who has invested a lot of money into a, uh, a northern, um, uh, a northern Canadian town. And I guess he like bought out some kind of uh, mine or something, and that caused a lot of tension in the area. He's kind of one of those people, like a like a politician, where half the people that live around really love him and think he's doing great things for the community, and the other half 
uh, really dislike him and think that he's buying up too many businesses and buying the mine was just like a step too far. So his property has been getting vandalized and he hires you to sort of like look into uh, the, the property, um, you know, the vandalism and just to sort of like offer a hand in protection and getting to the bottom of his, uh, his enemies basically. So the game starts and you drive into, it's snowy, you drive into a, uh, into the gas station where you're supposed to be meeting the guy. And I'm not going to really spoil a whole lot of what happens, but, um, so far it, it's got me pretty hooked. It turns into sort of like, sort of like a murder mystery-esque, like a seventies murder mystery, um, I thought it was going to be just like full on walking simulator whenever I started it, but it actually is more of just like a first person adventure game. It has a lot of inventory management and some puzzle solving. Like you get in a car accident pretty early in the game and you have to get out of the car and sort of like walk around and, um, figure out what to do. And there's like a little shack down the road and you have to pick up like logs and, and like chains and matches and you light a little fire and, in the little cabin so that he, that way he can warm up and, and uh, while on the topic of warming up, uh, Carl has three different meters. He's got a health meter, he's got a, a warmth meter, and he's got like a brain meter, which might be some kind of like psyche or um, sanity thing. I'm not, I haven't really uh, uh, dived into that too much, so I'm not really sure what that how that affects the gameplay. But you can't walk around outside too long or else he will die. He will like freeze to death, I guess. So you have to find places to light fires or go back to places where you have fires every once in a while to sort of warm up. And that also auto saves the game. Um, but uh, I mean, I like it so far. I've only played it for about an hour and a half, but it's like, it's not a horror game. There's nothing really scary going on, at least not yet. And it's just sort of like uh, you get dropped into this snowy, like small town in Northern Canada and you have to sort of walk around, uh, figure out where, where the families are. Cause like there's a lot of abandoned homes in the area cause people like left because of the snowstorm and you're sort of like rummaging through their houses and getting to the bottom of like what the mystery of the town holds. Like you, you sort of have the feeling that there's a lot more going on in the town, uh, like a more subtext with the culture and the community of the town than any given like small situation that you're in at the moment. So, uh, I like it. I'm definitely looking forward to playing it a little bit more. Um, it's, it's sort of like Firewatch meets like snowy murder mystery. And it does the Bastion thing where the main character narrates a lot of the game. So like as you walk around and look at stuff, he will be narrating what's going on. And it does like contextual narration. So like if you try to open a door to the car or something, he'll be like, oh, the car has run out of gas and blah, blah, blah. And he'll like talk about um, to kind of like guide you where you need to go. So I think that's kind of clever. I haven't really played a whole lot of games that have that sort of narration um, like hook in there, but um, I don't know. I like it. Do you have any questions about it or anything, Brad? I, you know, I had a couple, but you were kind of answering them as you went along. So I kind of checked those off mentally, but I mean, so <laughs> far, this is just seems like a straight up kind of adventure. Like there's no, you said it's not a horror game. I'm assuming at least so far there's no like supernatural element or anything like that. Oh, it's actually funny that you mentioned that because I meant to say that there is a tiny, tiny supernatural element so far. There, he, um, Carl has like visions every once in a while, and there's these little like, like glowing blue frozen stones on the ground every once in a while that he sees, and he can take pictures of them with his Polaroid camera. Um, and sometimes they will reveal a little bit of extra stuff that you can't see with the naked eye. So it's not like full on like fatal frame supernatural, but there's just like tiny elements of supernatural stuff going on. And I actually appreciate that because most of the time supernatural elements in games kind of take me out of it whenever the game is based heavily in realism, but there's just enough here to keep me interested, but not like 
to where you're like flying or shooting lasers out of your fingertips or anything like that. So um, it sounds interesting. Um, I am probably going to check this out once we get out of the uh, recording here. It seems like kind of my thing, but is there combat yet? Is, or does it just seem like more of a investigate, talk, or think? You know, you said find the magic blue stones or whatever, but does it seem like there's the framework for combat later on, possibly, or no? You know, I think there might be, and that's something that's also keeping me really interested in the game, because at one point I encountered a couple of wolves in the snow, and they didn't attack me. There was no, like, threatening situation, but they ran off, and that kind of set the precedent that at least the game is sophisticated enough to have uh, moving character models in it, so maybe there might be combat. And I also have picked up bullets, and I've picked up a crowbar, very Half-Life 2-style crowbar that I can swing, but the game is definitely not um, grounded in combat because I played it for an hour and a half, and I have yet to encounter basically anybody, like any living human in the game yet, really, that has tried to attack me or anything, but... That's pretty interesting for me because I like when games do, when games have combat, but they don't rely heavily on it. So it seems like much more of a narrative adventure game that might possibly have combat later. Interesting. I I would be definitely down for something like that if combat was used very sparingly, like, you know, just in a couple high pressure situations, just here and there, just this kind of like seasoning. Um, If your guy ends up like, you know, bashing a bunch of wolves or, you know, crazy townsfolk or something that would kind of be a turnoff to me but um this sounds interesting let's not talk about it too much because it seems like this is a really narrative heavy game let's leave it there but i i do want to hear more about that maybe you will be done with it by the time that we record uh this weekend and let's check back on that yeah i'm definitely going to try to play it um more this weekend so and like the i know the download file size isn't everything for the game but the file size leads me to believe that it's not going to be a super long game Um, But I also feel like after an hour and a half, I've only kind of scratched the surface of what the mysteries have to offer in the game. So uh, I don't know. Hopefully I'll beat it soon and we can discuss it a little bit more later. Right on, right on. And honestly, there's nothing wrong with short games. I mean, I've played way too many like games that were too bloated this year already and we're not even halfway through the year. I think it's a short game that gets to the point, gets in and out is totally fine. Um, If you came back next week and told me this game was four or five hours long, I would have no problem with that at all. So we shall see. We shall see uh, more to come next episode. Uh, I will go next here. I don't want to talk about it too much, uh, but I was playing Mass Effect Andromeda. I think on the last show we mentioned that I hadn't been playing a lot that I could talk about because I had a super secret game on board, and that's what it was. The embargo is now up. The game is out. Reviews are published, so I can now say whatever the hell I want. Um <laughs> Before we go, did, did you have any interest in this, Corey? I, I can't remember. You, you did like Mass Effect, didn't you? Yeah, I, uh, I really love the Mass Effect games. I think I've played, I've played through all three Mass Effect games three times each, if that gives That's you any right. idea. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So, yes, I think it's safe to say that you like the series. Definitely. Um, ha- before I get into my spiel, have you, you haven't bought this yet, have you? No, and as a matter of fact, um, I was kind of planning on buying it and then a bunch of people on the internet started talking about it and then i decided you know what i might actually rent this instead of buying it which i'm sure you'd be happy to elaborate on the impressions of it yeah let me stop beating around the bush um i was originally going to play it for review at game critics and i got to be just just really brutally honest uh i got about well i got to the second planet i'm not sure how many hours that was but it was it was a fair a fair distance in 
And I just, I straight up just didn't want to play it anymore. Like I just, it could not hold my attention. I thought it was really dull. And I am a fan. I am definitely a fan of Mass Effect. The first Mass Effect, one of my, in fact, my favorite game of all time. The Mass Effect series, one of my favorite series of all time. I love those games very, very much. Uh, and I was very excited uh, to get into Andromeda. I was one of the people who was giving it a chance. I know that some people were thinking it wasn't looking too good beforehand, but I was like, I'm ready for a change of pace. I'm ready for a new galaxy. Like, I'm down with that. I was I was all ready to be on board. And it just bored the fuck out of me. Um, there's a lot of reviews out. I'm sure people have read the reviews. There's a lot of talk about all the various problems. Um, I mean... For me, I'm just going to get right down to the bottom of it. Uh, the bottom of it for me was that the script is crap. Like the writing is garbage. And as everybody knows, Mass Effect is a series that's known for its writing. It's known for its characters. It's known for interesting uh, choices. It's known for its dramatic tension. And in the time that I spent with Andromeda, like it had none of that. Like it was it was so boring. Uh, the writing starts off really poorly. Uh, the story setup is really poor. They don't really relate Andromeda to the, the previous trilogy in any way which I found to be really weird that they don't really address that at all. Maybe they do later on, but in the part that I played, I did not see that. I didn't like the main character. I didn't like your supporting characters. Uh, it just felt like, you know, it, it felt really to me like, like a group of people were really big Mass Effect fans and they wanted to make their own Mass Effect, but none of them had any talent. And they're like, well, we're just going to do this because we know what Mass Effect needs. It needs a Turian. It needs a Krogan. It needs a Shepard character that can be male or female. It needs a spaceship. It needs quests. Like, okay, we got all those things. Boom, Mass Effect. But they're missing, like, the heart of the series. They're missing the dilemmas, the, the, the little conversations that really flesh your characters out. They're missing the problems. They're missing just, just liking the characters. I mean, that's just, I mean, to me, that was the biggest thing. You get your crew together, like, really quickly, like, almost unnaturally quickly. And once you get your crew together, it feels like people are checking boxes. Oh, I got my Turian. Oh, I got my Krogan. Oh, I got my human. I uh, got my other human. Okay, we're good to go. Boom. And it's like, you don't have a relationship with these people. You don't feel like you know them. I couldn't even remember their names, honestly. And they just, they like, all of a sudden, we're, like, on board and we're a crew. And we're, like, saving the galaxy or whatever. And I'm like, this doesn't feel real to me. It doesn't feel like I'm invested at all. Uh, they changed some of the dialogue. And the dialogue, to me, just is goofy. I know people were like, oh... Uh, Paragon, Renegade, that's not a good way to divide dialogue. It's so fake, which, you know, there are, that, there's a point to that. I mean, I get that. I, I give that some, some weight, but I thought it was fine enough. People want it varied. They want it more realistic, which is great. But the system they came up with was just stupid. You could swing your, uh, they're not called Shepard. They're called Ryder this time. Um, and like, depending on which choice you picked, it would be like, she could either be like this really inspirational, no nonsense. We got to band together and save humanity. Or she'd be like a, fuck yeah, let's get some brewskis. We're going to party down. Like, and swing back and forth, like, wildly between these modes. It was so crazy. And I just I just couldn't get into it at all. I didn't think the, the emotional stakes were there. I wasn't interested in finding out what happened. I uh, got to the first planet, and it's now open world-ish now. Uh, which, I mean, is good. I mean, I think exploration coming back to the series is positive. Uh, there's the Mako-like vehicle called the Nomad, which I thought was pretty cool. But, like, you start doing the quests, and it's just, like, they're really, really boring. Just nothing to them. Busy work fetch quests where, like, you know, like, for example, I was uh, on the trail of some aliens, and I go to this lab, and they're like, oh, hey, Ryder, we found this super secret uh, thingamabob, this thing that really we can use to kill these aliens. We should research this, but the pieces are missing. You got to go find three pieces. And I'm like, okay, 
Yes, three pieces, fine. Let's do this. So I go collect the three pieces. You get the three pieces. You bring them back. Like, yeah, right on. Thanks. And that's it. Didn't go anywhere. Like, nothing happened. I had no real understanding of why I got those things other than the fact that the game told me to get them. When I got them, nothing happened. It was just it was just nothing. Like, nothing came of it. A couple of the busy work quests were just like, go here. Do this one thing. Boom, you're done. You got your XP. Move on. Like, there was no payoff to any of it. There was no reward like you know no mental reward like I wasn't building up my character I wasn't doing anything interesting I wasn't getting to know my crew through these situations I mean like you know perfect example is like one of your crewmates says something like oh I'm a no-nonsense go-getter that's me that's who I am and I'm like okay you're telling me that but I would much rather go on a mission with you and actually see you doing that so then I would learn firsthand like how you are like it's way more effective to do or to show instead of tell and in the, the sections that I played, it was all telling. Like, it was, I mean, it was just bad. It was really bad. None of it hung together. And this is the first Mass Effect where I felt like I had to read the codex to figure out what the hell was going on. Like, I was just lost. I didn't understand who was who, what was going on. I'm like, okay, I got to go in the codex. I got to read this whole thing. Read all that stuff, which I hate doing. I I think it's fine to have that codex stuff if, if people really like to get into that lore. But it shouldn't be necessary to enjoy the game. It should not have to be read. Because that just totally defeats the purpose of having interactive media in general for me. So, um, I could go on and on. I mean, yeah, the animation was bad. I know people are really ragging on the animation. Yeah, it's totally bad. But that that was not the killing thing for me. Like, I could have forgiven all of that goofy animation. Um, you know, I possibly could have even forgiven some of the busy work quests, which were garbage. The scanning's back, by the way. There's like three different kinds of scanning this time for all those scanning fans. I know people really love the fucking scanning. <laughs> God, scanning can drop off a fucking cliff. Um... But, you know, it, as long as the story and characters, if those were there, I could have looked past all that other stuff and just enjoyed it for what it was. But I didn't give a shit about my character. I didn't give a shit about my crew. I didn't give a shit about the story. And that, to me, was the the death knell for Mass Effect Andromeda. I stopped playing. I deleted it off of my hard drive. And I passed off the review to somebody else because I just couldn't finish it. I just couldn't put myself through that. I just didn't want to waste time. I already knew I didn't like it. And I just wasn't going to stick around. So I am out of Andromeda, I'm not going to come back, and that is done for me. Okay, so you didn't talk about you left an entire thing out of your discussion that I wanted. What know was about. it? How, do you know what it is? I don't. What the fucking combat? Tell me about the combat in the game. Oh god, you know that's so funny because I don't come to Mass Effect for combat at all. I know some people really like it, I guess, and that's fine. I mean, it's okay, but for me, it's just like whatever. I just want to get to the quests and the story and the characters. But the combat is actually um. It's not bad. I mean, I really like the new mobility. Your rider has like a jump jet on her back so she can um, jump up and hover. So you can kind of like hover in the air and shoot down. You can dash forward. You have like a, you can jump up. You're very mobile, which is kind of cool. Uh, that part works pretty well. And the guns feel fine. I just played kind of a standard um, soldier rider. I didn't do the biotics because that's not how I like to play. But I mean, it all worked okay. Um, I didn't feel like my teammates were really following my orders very well, but maybe that would improve um, over time. I'm not sure. It was fine. I mean, it was it was good. It was okay, but I don't show up to Mass Effect for combat, so I was just like, whatever, you know, just get through this and get to the to to what I want to see, which is the story. And then the story didn't show up, so I just didn't care about any of it. But the combat's fine. I think it's 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 good. Probably the best combat in a Mass Effect so far. But like I said, that's not why I show up to Mass Effect. So. Does, whenever you start your game, whenever you create your writer, does it let you pick, like, all the different classes, like the old Mass Effects do? Yeah, you can, you can totally create, it's, this is a weird one, because 
your writer is twins, which I think is really hokey, and I didn't like that idea at all. But, like, you start the game as twins, so there's a male twin and a female twin. And you can pick whichever one you want, and you can customize them however you want. You can pick your class and make them look like whatever you want them to look like. And then you get the option to customize the other twin that you're not playing, which to me was like, I only want to do it once. I don't want to make a bunch of characters. I want to make one character. So, like, I made my my character. My writer was kind of like a young Latina chick. She had, like, this bright red hair. She had some scars. Uh, she looked like a go-getter to me, so that was fine. I wasn't able to reproduce... Um, the shepherd type that I had before, like for whatever reason, it just wasn't coming together. I couldn't make it look like what I wanted to make it look like. So I, I just went in a different direction and that was okay. So I spent all this time making my, my Latina writer. And then it's like, do you want to customize your twin? And I'm like, well, I'm tired now. I don't want to do that. So no. <laughs> so then you get to the game and it's like, your twin is like this dippy white dude. And it's like your brother. And I'm like this fiery Latina. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, we don't look, this is, this is stupid. <laughs> It would have been better if the game had taken what I had done and kind of extrapolated something similar, you know, at the very least the, the, um, the race, I mean, you know, at least make him like Latino or something, but no, it's Dippy white guy writer and his brother, the hot Latino, which is, (laughs) it looks so stupid. It was so stupid. So anyway, um, yeah, I just was really disappointed, really disappointed. I was looking forward to this, wanted to be on board and I am not on board and I'm done with it. And uh, Mike Susky, who is reviewing the game for us at the moment, from what I've heard from Mike, he's not really in love with it either. So I guess you can probably expect, um, I'm guessing a fairly negative review at Game Critics in the next week or two, as soon as he gets through it. But, uh, I'm done. I, I washed my hands of it. I'm over it. Well, it ha- currently has a 74 on Metacritic right now for the PlayStation 4 version with 40 reviews in. Wow. For a game like that, a big AAA tentpole like that, I bet those people, I mean, I bet the, uh, I bet EA is, is pulling their hair out right now. They must be freaking out because I mean, 74, that's not even 75 and 75 is not even 80 and 80 is not 90. Like what the hell? It's garbage. Yeah. So. Obviously the entire studio is going to shut down and everybody's going to lose their bonuses now that the game yeah, is at 90 on no Metacritic. Sh- no shit. No shit. But I, if I recall correctly, I'm not looking at it now, but I remember the user reviews were even lower. Like last time I checked, user reviews were like in the 40s or something like that so i mean i don't know man i don't know if uh if they can patch some of this stuff out i don't know if they can save it i think i think honestly they just missed the point of what mass effect is all about they just missed the heart of it they missed what people really like the most and i just it's not about fetch quests it's not really about the combat it's about the characters in the story and if that's not there why did you move ahead with this like why did you do this i just i don't get it i don't get it anyway um cory Speaking of Mass Effect, you ran a poll recently. Uh, it's This is a little bit late, so please forgive us, dear listeners. But you ran this poll before the reviews started hitting. This was pre-reviews. And you got some interesting results. Corey, do you want to tell us about the Mass Effect poll that you conducted very, very scientifically on Twitter? Yes, I created the most scientific Twitter poll of all time on Twitter. Um, this was on the uh, March 17th I ran it, uh, which was a few days before the game came out. This was in between people writing, like, early impressions on the internet but before the full um, review embargo lifted for it so it was like weird early impressions but there's plenty of news about it by the time i ran this poll so oh hang, hang on one second I, I do want to mention that really quickly i'm glad you brought that up because this was the weirdest fucking embargo ever everybody got the game early who got it and then they were saying you could stream it like three days before the embargo lifted but you could not post impressions and i'm like what so I can sit here, I can get a stream going for six hours, I can be totally talking the entire time about what I'm doing, 
and that's fine. But I couldn't post a little paragraph about early impressions. So like it was so weird because people who posted their streams were often posting text from their streams. And so they were like getting around the embargo of no impressions. And I was going back and forth with PR being like, what the hell? Like I got stuff to say and I can't say it. And these guys who streamed it are posting stuff. So like what? What? So it was the most messed up embargo, like a real stair-stepped embargo. I, I don't know why they did it that way. I think it was a really bad idea. Uh, I, I don't know if it was damage control or what, but that was that was just fucked up. Anyway, go ahead with the uh, results. Well, the poll, my, my tweet said, um, with recent Mass Effect Andromeda impressions hitting the press, have you? And Twitter allows you up to four options for um, A, B, C, or D for the poll. So I chose, uh, my first one was planned to buy, now not. My second one is still buying. The third option is renting instead of buying. And the fourth option is never was buying. Uh, and hindsight, I probably should have put one in there that was like, I'll buy it when it's on sale later because like three or four people told me that, um, that that's what they plan to do when it hit a sale in like six months or a year or something, like a really good sale that they would buy it. But um, for the poll, I had 57 votes, a whopping 57. So obviously the whole United States voted on this. And that's everybody. Yeah, that is everybody. Yeah. Um, the first of all, 34% of the people said that they never were planning to buy the game. And those people can just unfollow me on Twitter right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But 34% said uh, never was planning to buy. Um, 14% said uh, plan to buy now not. Uh, Only 5% said renting instead of buying. I feel like, you know, Brad, I feel like you and I talk about Gamefly and renting games a lot. But I seriously feel like you and I are the only people who still rent video games anymore. Why do you say that? Because, like, there were a couple people who were, like, who, like, commented on the the Twitter. And I, I'm sure they're being assholes or being, like, you know, silly. But they're, like, oh, renting games? What is that? I've never heard of that. And I'm, like, okay, first of all, like, haha, you're funny. And second of all, like, do people just, like, not know what Gamefly is? Like, I don't want to, like, you know, the show's not, like, sponsored by Gamefly or anything. But, like, I fucking love Gamefly. I love being able to rent games. And I feel like people just don't rent them anymore. Yeah, Gamefly or Redbox. I mean, I, maybe people are made of money. I mean, I'm not. I'm on a really tight budget. I don't know about your financial situation, but I don't think you guys are rich either. And I know for a fact that I cannot afford to buy every game that I'm just curious about. I mean, I got to really be judicious in my purchases. So, I mean, if people out there don't even think of renting as a thing because they just buy every single game that they can buy, I mean, I'm more power to them, but that's not a reality for me. And I suspect it's not a reality for a lot of people and since Gamefly is bigger than it ever has been, I suspect, you know, they have no no problem finding people who want to rent as well. So um, I don't know. Maybe we just start are polling the wrong people. <laughs> Maybe that's true. Um, but last but not least, the biggest number in the poll, which was 47 percent. So almost half the people that voted said that they were still planning to buy it. So uh, I guess the negative first impressions weren't all that bad because only 14 people, only 14% said that they were planning to buy and now they're not. Meanwhile, almost half said that they were still planning to buy it. There's a lot of hardcore Mass Effect fans out there. I have quite a few in my timeline and I've seen many people out there say that no matter what happened, they were going to buy that game and jump into it uh, because they were that devoted. And that's fine. I mean, if you enjoy it, go for it. I don't mean to take that away from you. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I and mean, I've seen a lot of people who just seemed like they were going to like it no matter what. So, I, you know, some people, I, you just can't convince them. I mean, if they want to like it, they're going to like it, and that's fine. They've got every every right to like it. So, you know, if you're, if you're that hardcore and you just wanted more Mass Effect no matter the cost, well, you got it. 
even if it's missing the heart of the series, as you said. Yeah, it's not a good time. Anyway, let's move on. That's enough of Mass Effect. Corey, uh, you wanted... We got a couple really kind of quick topics here. We're going to hit you rapid fire now. Uh, But first, let's talk about a trailer that caught your fancy, sir. It's called The Occupation. Uh, Tell us about it and tell us why it caught your attention. Well, the the reason why it caught my attention is because of the studio that's behind it. So there, there's a game development studio out there called White Paper Games, and I literally think the studio is comprised of like ten or fifteen people. Like it's a super small team. The last time they posted a, a group picture on their Twitter page, I think it was like ten people, or, or so, something like that. But um, they put out my 2000 i think it came out in 2014 but i played it 2015 i think which was like my surprise hit of the year that nobody else played a game called ether one which came out on steam and on playstation 4 i don't know if it's on xbox or not i probably should have looked that up wait 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 hold on, hold on. ether one was your game of the year back when no, no, came it out? wasn't my game of the year because i didn't play it the year it came out but it was like probably one of my favorite games that i played that year if that really makes sense. boy i don't think i've ever heard you talk about that before i actually own that i think on two different consoles i've never played it though you liked it that much yeah i uh i reviewed it for game critics brad come on now i, I don't remember that dude i go through so many reviews a week <laughs> i don't even remember what i fucking wrote dude i can't remember what you wrote but i'll go back and read it after i get off the show here i'm gonna look it up now well it came uh ether one came out on playstation plus it was a free playstation plus game back in like early 2015 i think and I had never heard of it. I had no idea what it was, but Patrick downloaded it because he, he has PS Plus and he always downloads the games. So one day when I was bored at home, I just fired it up. I had no idea what it was other than the icon on the PlayStation 4 screen. I played it, and Ether One is a walking simulator that is probably the closest thing I have played to Mist since Mist. I, I don't want to like overblow that, but um, it's about it's a first person game where you play as a guy who takes part in this like futuristic almost like science fiction medical procedure by, I think it's by a doctorate student. And the procedure lets you sort of like dive into the mind of patients with um, extreme like mental like diseases or mental problems and sort of like- Okay, yes, that's, it's coming back to me now. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay, I remember this, yes. Yeah. So Ether 1, thumbs up, good, you liked it. Yes, I loved Ether 1 because it was like, it was, there's no combat or anything. It's a walking simulator where it's a lot of puzzle solving. But the thing that I love about Ether 1 is that it has a lot of really- kind of like like mist-esque puzzles that are very obtuse and you have to like run around all over these maps to like coordinate these things and figure and figure them out but I loved it because you did not have to do those puzzles if you didn't want to there's only like a limited amount of things you have to do in order to progress in the story and as a matter of fact there's like there's kind of like four core areas of the game and I think one of them you don't even really have to do it all if you do enough in the other ones to collect these things that let you progress toward the end of the game but um I love it because it's it's like therapeutic, it's interesting, it's beautiful. It has a really um, sort of like abstract story because in the game you're basically playing in the environments of someone else's mind who is deteriorating from dementia. And you have the woman, the doctorate student, who is like in your earpiece, like kind of guiding you through it, uh, trying to explain the patient situation and her situation and about the medical procedure and if they're getting enough funding. And I just thought it was lovely. I love that game. But that's that's a lot of uh, nonsense talk about Ether One. Basically, the reason why the Occupation trailer caught my eye is because it's by White Paper Games. I think it's only their second game. And this one looks like uh, they just released a trailer for it like a day or two ago. And it is another first-person game. Uh, it's called The Occupation, where it looks like um, 
he plays a journalist in London in 1987. There is a terrorist attack in London that kills 23 people, and it spurs the creation of what their parliament calls the Union Act. And I think this is all fake. I don't think this stuff actually happened because I tried to look it up and could find no evidence of this. But um, it's sort of like a faux historic um, event, if you will. But but that, gotcha. that terrorist attack spurs the creation of the Union Act. And I guess you play as a journalist and you have like four hours of real-time gameplay to like talk to people and make decisions and try to get to the bottom of what's going on and whatever you do throughout those four hours can influence um i guess like the passing of the union act or the non-passing or maybe there's other options the trailer doesn't really give a whole lot away um, i actually read a lot of the stuff on white paper games website but i mean it looks really good it looks like I mean, it doesn't look abstract like Ether One. It, it looks super, super grounded in reality. Like you're just a journalist walking through, trying to talk to people and figure stuff out. The game has like actual character models and a lot of dialogue because Ether One didn't really have character models. Um, but it just looks really good. Like I'm off totally supporting White Paper Games. I think Ether One is a gem that a lot of people missed. That I think uh, missed to get it because it's like missed. Um, that a lot of people should go back and play if they're interested in like first person puzzle solving games um, that have sort of like an abstract narrative. So anything that White Pair Games wants to give me, I am going to be on board with. Right on. I did see that trailer and it is interesting. Like the style is very realistic and it is very, it seems very grounded in, in just walking around and talking to people and being in a like a real realistic environment. So that was that was a little bit interesting as it is. Uh, so I will check it out as well. I probably will let you lead the way and let me, uh, know what you think about it, but it does, uh, seem curious. Uh, and, and now that you mentioned either one, like I said, I think I own it at least two times. I might be, I probably will go track it down and play it soon. I am actually in a pretty good space to play it right now. So maybe I'll fire it up. Thank you very much for bringing it back to my attention. <laughs> I have a feeling either one might be a little too slow paced for you. Maybe I'm not sure, but maybe. Well, we'll see. I mean, if nothing else, I can just uh, delete it. And I will actually talk about deleting things in just a minute. But before we get to me, um, I you did want to touch really quickly on 4K gaming. Have you uh, moved on up to the east side? Got a like, new fancy rig going on? You got some, uh, some high-tech stuff you want to share with us, sir? Uh, as a matter of fact, yes. I moved into an old grandma house, and to compensate for it, have a brand new TV. Um, Patrick bought one of his missions recently was to upgrade our TV because we have we went I bought a 50 inch uh, Panasonic uh, Viera TV like probably like six or seven or eight years ago when I worked at Target it was a display TV that was on like super duper clearance so I picked it up really cheap for like a couple hundred dollars um, and Patrick has been interested in buying a new TV he bought a PlayStation 4 Pro like I mentioned on the show about two or three weeks ago so that obviously has 4k and like HDR gaming capabilities so we bought a uh what is it a Samsung SK 8000 so I don't know it's some like I can't remember the whole model number but it's a 60 inch 4k um you know all the bells and whistles um tv and it's really great it just got delivered yesterday so of course i did my deep dive into a few games to play and some like movies and clips to watch on it just to kind of like test the the capacity of it so i played a few games last night just to see what it looked like i played um hitman first because i know hitman has um playstation pro like upgraded capabilities i played deus ex because i know deus ex uh, mankind divided also they implemented an hdr mode for it um specifically for playstation pro and i played um the order 1886 which does not have any specific 
PlayStation 4 Pro capabilities, but I think that game is still one of the best-looking games I've ever played, so I wanted to play it for a little bit. And I also played Doom, which I also think is a beautiful game, and I wanted to see what it looked like on the TV. Um, And, of course, all the games are great. Um, Honestly, Deus Ex Mankind Divided, like, the HDR mode and the PlayStation Pro capabilities that it, like, pushes, it looks so good and so smooth that it almost is, like, distracting. Like, Like, it looks so good that I... It's almost like it takes me out of the game in a way. I think they call it the soap opera effect whenever things look too smooth on a TV. Um, it's almost like that where I'm like, geez, this almost looks so good that I like cannot really handle this right now. Um, but like, it's just <laughs> I weird. Don't think I've, I've never heard of a soap opera effect, although I do think it's amazing that like this this game looks so good, like it takes you out of the game. That's That seems kind of counterintuitive but i believe you i believe what you're saying yeah it's just bizarre like i wasn't really expecting that but um i mean the games look really great i watched uh a little bit one thing i always do when i get a tv because i only buy like one tv maybe every decade maybe two if i'm lucky um i always watch the tron legacy light cycle fight sequence um so i watched that yesterday and just like sat in my living room with like my mouth wide open as um, sexy Garrett Headland was driving his light cycles all over the grid, and because uh, I love that sequence. Um, but yeah, it's good. I'm like really excited about having a 4K TV and having it be a big ass 60 inch screen and being able to sit on the couch and play it and play, get full capability out of all the games that are coming out so that they look better and all that bullshit. So uh, yeah, thumbs up to 4K gaming if you have the budget to buy a nice TV. <laughs> Right on, right on. I do not have the budget, so I will just live vicariously through your TV set. Um, but it sounds fine. I mean, maybe someday, uh, by the time I get around to 4K, they will be up to, I don't know, 5K or 6K or whatever. <laughs> I will be one generation behind constantly, but that's fine. Uh, but sounds good. I'm glad that you are pleased with your purchase, so we will check back in. I do want to hear about the PS Pro um, when you guys have had more time to settle in with it, maybe put it through its paces. I think uh, maybe we should talk about that on the next episode, and you can give us a full rundown on that. Uh, but for now, I think one more topic, and then we're going to be towards the tail end of our episode tonight. I did want to give a quick update, special shout out to Joshua Jackson, who is at the realist 871 on Twitter, who is a uh, listener of the show and a follower on Twitter. Nice guy. Um, he is a near automata fan and he's been kind of dismayed that near did not click with me. Uh, as people listen to the show know, I'm a big original near fan. The first near that was on 360. I thought that game was amazing. And I was really psyched for Near Automata, and it just did not did not do it for me. He wanted to know how I was coming with it, like a, kind of a wrap up, kind of a follow up on that. And so, I this is for you, Joshua. I got to say, it never it never clicked. I did not finish the game. I got about 20, 22 or twenty four hours into the game, and this one wants you to beat the game multiple times in order to see the whole story. I thought that worked to really good effect in the first Near. But it just doesn't work as well this time around. And I think also it takes too long. The first near was very compact. The first playthrough was quick, but then the second and third playthroughs were very compact. You could get through them quickly. And it felt like they were different enough that it really made it worthwhile to play through. Like you didn't feel like you were seeing the same thing again. In near Automata, I think the whole game is just too, it's too big. It's too bloated. And, and there's not enough in there to really make it worth the time that it wants you to invest. I mean, I think minimum to see all of the stories like between 40 and 50 hours, and it just doesn't deserve that much time. Uh, I think you could probably do the entire story in maybe 20 hours, and if it had been shorter, I would have been happy to play through it all and seen that, but it just takes too long. You finish the game the first time, and it's okay. Like, it's just kind of your average emo Japanese character action game, 
And then they want you to play it through a second time. And it seems to be interesting at first, but then you realize you're doing like all the exact same quests, all the same objectives, all the same stuff you just did. You're just doing it again. And it's just not different enough to play through again. Like, I don't think the game is that good. People tell me that the third playthrough is completely different, which I believe, but I don't want to play through it the second time. Like, I wish it had gotten to something juicier immediately, so then I would be more inclined to play through the whole thing. So, Joshua, I'm really sorry. I just didn't finish the game. I just am not going to finish the game. I got, like I said, 22 hours in and I'm done. Uh, I deleted it, and then I watched the rest of the stuff on YouTube, and I will say that the story was pretty cool. Like, watching all those cutscenes on YouTube was nice. I think uh, Yoko Taro did a good job with the story. It was uh, not quite as good as the first Nier story, I didn't think, for me, but still a very good story, above average for sure. I just wish that he had told it in a more compact and efficient way because it just took too fucking long. So my review is still going up. It's not going to be great, uh, but that's still going up. Uh, Beyond that, I kind of hit a funk because I've been playing too many games in a row that were just not good. I mean, I played Horizon, which I was excited for and I didn't care for. I played Nier, which I was excited for, and then I ended up not caring for. I played Mass Effect, which I was excited for and I didn't care for. And I don't know about you, Corey, but like when I play too many like disappointing games in a row like it really brings me down do you ever notice that happens to you uh i don't ever think i play a whole lot of bad games in a row so maybe it doesn't happen to me try that sometime play a lot of (laughs) shit games in a row and then get back to me because it happens to me yeah sometimes i i actually like playing games that are bad because i feel much it's kind of like whenever you have like an angry experience at a store or restaurant and you like take an online survey and like you feel much more passionate about like reporting back like how it was bad that's how I feel about video games like when I play a bad game I feel much more inspired to write about it than if I just enjoy because if I enjoy a game I'm like oh yeah that was good now let's move on to the next one but when I play a game that I really don't like and this hasn't happened in a long time but um I enjoy writing all of the details about why I do not like a game understood understood and that's that usually works for me too Uh, but I like to balance it out. Like if I do a bad one and I play it all the way through for review and I write it up, that's fine. But then I want to play something good next. I don't like to stay in those troughs for too long because it really, it really brings me down because after a while it starts making me think like, Oh God, is this what games are now? Are there no good games out there? Or, or maybe it's me. Maybe I just don't like games anymore. Oh my God. I spent my whole life in games. What if I don't like games anymore? Who am I? What am I? What's going on? What is life? I just, you know, it's just, it's like existential crisis mode, which I do not appreciate. So I got in that mode again because I just had played too many games in a row that were shitty. And when that happens, this this is what I do. This happens like probably like once a year. I get in this dump where like I just play too many shit games. And then I look at my backlog and I'm like, Ugh, I'm feeling so negative right now. I bet all these games on backlog are shit games too. And I start <laughs> pulling them out and playing them one by one. And if they don't catch me in the first five minutes, I fucking like just get rid of them or delete them or whatever. And I did that. I went through one of my frenzies this week. I started off with uh, Neon Chrome on PS4 kind of a top-down shooter, kind of like a, I don't know, like a dungeon crawler shooter. Kind of remind me of Diablo, but just like more of a, I don't know, Blade Runner kind of aesthetic. Played it for like five minutes. I'm like, ah, delete, get out of here. No good. I uh, played Spy Chameleon, which was a really cute-looking game where you play a little chameleon who can change colors, and it's also another top-down. The goal is to get through these different rooms full of like surveillance cameras and robots and collect some flies, collect bugs, and get to the next level. Very cute, controlled really well, but I'm like, fuck this, I don't like you, Spike Chameleon, bye, delete. I played Slain Back to Hell, which was a very Castlevania-like side-scrolling action game. Very hardcore, very difficult. It's 
it's one of those games it's kind of like a throwback and they want to make it hard on purpose because there are people out there who still enjoy that which is fine um i got through like the first two levels and i just was like nah i'm not hardcore enough i don't care enough i don't want to prove myself to you slain i i don't need to prove anything and so i deleted that uh started playing tembo the badass elephant which is put out by i think it's put out by the pokemon team as a matter of fact if i'm not mistaken you play as a side-scrolling uh platformer you play as an elephant who can squirt water and run and do a butt stomp and do all the things that a platforming <laughs> elephant would do that actually wasn't too bad you know it sounds crazy but it actually reminded me of like sonic the hedgehog but it actually functioned like it actually had the same kind of really quick peppy back and forth lots of jumping lots of uh hop and bop kind of stuff it was very cute looking my son really liked it a lot so i'm like okay i'm not in the mood for this now but this is okay so tembo can stay did not get deleted and then i moved on finally to deadlight director's cut which was something i've had on my ps4 for a while it's a 2d uh you know it's almost like a prince of persia sort of thing although that's kind of an, an outdated reference now it's almost like an abe's odyssey or one of those one of those 2D games where, like, you're platforming and there are these different puzzles. Maybe, like, inside a little bit. Like, inside. The same kind of presentation. Um, but you're, like, a guy in Seattle who is surviving a zombie apocalypse. And so you just have to kind of get through the city. But everything is in a 2D perspective. There's platforms. There's jumping. Ladders. There's some puzzles. That actually was pretty cool. I really liked that a lot. Um, I heard the first release, the non-director's cut, had some problems. So I held off and I picked up the director's cut. I don't know what they fixed, but I'm not detecting any issues so far. It's really fast. Uh, the puzzles are just enough to give you a little bit of variety for the platforming. The platforming is pretty solid. You know, um, fighting zombies in 2D is kind of cool because you just have to avoid it most of the time. So it's an interesting little spin. You don't do a lot of fighting. Um, it's good. And I like that one. And that's where I settled. So I'm actually playing that one now. And I'm glad I didn't have to delete my entire hard drive to find something that clicked with me. So I'm into Deadlight Director's Cut right now. I will probably come back to Tembo, the badass elephant, but all the rest of that shit can go to hell. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. So have you ever done a deletion frenzy like that, Corey? Is that a thing that's ever happened to you? Uh, not really. I tend to... I mean, I don't keep a ton of games on the PlayStation. Well, maybe that's a lie because we actually bought a custom two terabyte hard drive for our original playstation 4 so oh like, nice nice yeah there was like no need to delete anything because it was always just like there but whenever um i added my profile to the playstation 4 pro i started downloading games and this time i got to like pick and choose which games i thought i might actually play in the future so there's a bunch of stuff i didn't download uh but i've never done like a whole like hard drive purge or anything like that Mm. It kind of bugs me to see some of these games on like the PS4 menu. Like if I know that I don't like them or I'm not going to play them, I don't want to see them there. And so I, I end up like deleting a bunch of stuff. So I like to only download the games that I think I'm going to play. And then I'll look at those on the on the taskbar. It'll remind me. So I probably delete more than I probably should. And I do need to upgrade my hard drive. But that's a story for another day. Anybody listening, if you have gotten into a game funk or if you've gotten into a deletion frenzy or anything like that, if anything I've said at all, if you've connected with any of that on even like uh, a minute level, I do want to hear about it. Uh, please let me know. I'm not the only person on earth that does that. Uh, email in and let me know that I'm that I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. Would love to hear your stories. <laughs> um, and that's basically all we have as far as what we've been playing and such. Uh, but we did have one question from a listener earlier this week. This one comes from Angry Zeus Gaming, <laughs> who is at Angry Zeus Gaming. Uh, thank you very much for your question. And he asks. You both have said you aren't big Nintendo fans. 
That's true. We didn't say that. What's your favorite Nintendo title? Are there any? Good question and a valid question. Corey, why don't you go first? You know, I was thinking about this question earlier because you sent it to me and I was thinking about it. And it's really sad because I had to think for a few minutes of like, man, like what what first party Nintendo games have I played that I've really liked? And that's not to say anything bad about Nintendo, but the first game that came to mind was Super Mario 64 on the Nintendo 64 because the Nintendo 64 was probably the last, that and the GameCube I played quite a bit on, but I didn't play a whole lot of first party stuff. Like the Nintendo 64 is probably the last Nintendo uh, platform that I played a lot of first party stuff on. And as sad as it sounds, um, if we're talking about first party Nintendo developed titles, Super Mario 64 is probably my favorite. Um, I just liked, at that point in my life, I was pretty young, and that was whenever gaming was making kind of like the swoop into like full-on 3D land, and it just really resonated. It was really whimsical. I mean, I feel like I don't have to sit here and talk about why Super Mario 64 is great. Um, I just loved it, and I loved it at that point in my life, and I played the hell out of it, and I went back to play all the levels several times more to get all the extra stars and all that stuff, and... It just really worked for me. Um, I liked Mario Kart 64 a lot too. I played Mario Party here and there. Um, but uh, I don't really play a whole lot of first party Nintendo titles. Um, what about you, Brad? Um, well, I've had every Nintendo system. So despite the fact that we may say that we're not Nintendo fans, I mean, I think we both have spent time with Nintendo over the years. Um, yeah, I've owned everything they've put out, except for the Virtual Boy. Uh, I would have bought it, but I was actually broke at the time. And then by the time I had money, I realized it was a boondoggle, so I skipped it. But <laughs> um, every other Nintendo system I have owned, and I have spent time with all that. And let me just be clear. Um, I don't I don't mean to say that I don't like anything that's on a Nintendo system. Like, that's not what I mean. I mean, there's been plenty of games over the years that have been made by other developers, which I really have enjoyed greatly on Nintendo hardware. I mean, stuff like uh, Trauma Team I thought was awesome. Zack and Wiki was, I think, just an amazing game that nobody ever played. I mean, Monster Hunter has been on Nintendo systems lately. Uh, Henry Hatsworth is a 3DS game, or, or maybe it was just a DS game, that I thought was just amazing. I mean, there's lots of games on Nintendo hardware, which I really enjoy, just not from Nintendo, like not first-party stuff. Um, if we're talking about first-party stuff like you just did, you know, it's, it's tough. I really liked, <coughs> excuse me, Mario Galaxy, the first one. Really like Mario Galaxy a lot. Um, also, uh, believe it or not, really big fan of Wind Waker. I thought Wind Waker was really good. I enjoyed that quite a bit when it came out. Um, it had its problems. Kind of slowed down at the end when you had to sail around and find all the crap you needed to find. But in general, really liked the look of it. Really liked the feel. That's a really good game. Um, excuse me one second. <clears throat> bit of a dry throat. Pardon me, folks. <laughs> at the moment, um, I'm watching my wife play Breath of the Wild, and you know, believe it or not, it looks like a really fun game. I was kind of sick of hearing of all the hype uh, as soon as it came out, and just people telling me my life was going to change, it was Jesus Christ on a disc, etc., etc., the world is a better place now, all that stuff. I don't think it's necessarily true, but watching my wife play, it does look like a really fun game, and I'm looking forward to cracking into it when my schedule opens up a little bit. I mean, I've actually spent uh, some time on the couch just watching her play, and it seems really cool, so I'm looking forward to getting that, but I would have to say probably... Probably Mario Galaxy is my favorite Nintendo title, followed by Wind Waker. There have been a few other first-party titles I've enjoyed, and many, many, many not first-party titles I've enjoyed. But we don't completely hate Nintendo fans, although I do think it's true that we are not big Nintendo fans. 
Well, and if we're going to name drop a few, like, non-first-party titles, I'll go ahead and jump yeah, on that wagon, yeah. too. Because um, there are Do several it. games I've played on Nintendo platforms that I love, because I loved, um, like, obviously, Goldeneye and Perfect Dark on the <laughs> Nintendo 64. I know those aren't, like, Perfect Dark's not exclusive to N64 anymore, but I love that game. Um, the Resident Evil remake that originally came out on the GameCube, I think is maybe the best Resident Evil ever made. I love that remake to death. I think it's amazing. Um I, I kind of totally forgot about Pokemon, but I just remembered it a minute ago. I don't know how I forgot about the entire franchise of Pokemon, but I, I loved a Pokemon Yellow on the Game Boy Color, or Pokemon Snap on the Nintendo 64. I know those are first-party titles, but I love those. Um, Pokemon Snap was pretty dope. I uh, do agree with that. Pokemon Snap is the best. <clears throat> and I also loved um, uh, Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem on the GameCube. That is like a cult classic game um, that I think is just... Oh God, I love that game. Um by Silicon Knights, which I'm pretty sure that development studio is literally just like Dennis Dyack sitting at a desk at this point. Um, but they also did, Silicon Knights also did the uh, the port uh, of Metal Gear Solid The Twin Snakes for GameCube, which was a remake of Metal Gear Solid on GameCube. I love that port. That port is so good. And it is only on the GameCube, or if you have like a fancy emulator for a PC, you can get it. But um, it's only on the GameCube. So I guess those are like a handful of, um, I know I'm probably forgetting some, but if we're talking about third-party games that are kind of, that either were exclusive to Nintendo consoles or um, still are, those are definitely some that I loved. Those are all good picks. I mean, I could certainly go on and on for sure. I mean, if I went and reviewed all my favorite Nintendo hardware exclusive stuff, I could put together a pretty solid list as well. So you know, just to be clear, we are not against Nintendo hardware. <laughs> we're not against Nintendo you know, game the games that appear on their hardware, not at all. Just I think when we talk about that, I think we're just saying we're Corey and I both are probably not the biggest like first party Nintendo fans. I think there's a lot of people who like them a lot more than we do, and that's fine. Uh, you like them, that's great. We don't like them, that's also great. We can all get along and still be friends. So there you go. I hope that we answered your question, Angry Zeus Gaming. Thank you very much for sending it in. And anybody else listening, please send your questions in anytime. We love, love questions. Um, so. I think that is going to do it for us this week. But before we go, as I just said, please send us your questions. Also, your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. Send it to SoVideoGamesPodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter as a collective show, at SoVideoGames. And you can reach us individually. My handle is at Brad Galloway. It's all A's, no O's. Corey, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at Corey Motley, which is C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y on Twitter. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So please write in. We love to hear from you. We always welcome uh, any interaction with the fans. Let us know you're out there. So anyway, thanks very much for listening. And like I said, we will try to get back on track to our regular Sunday night recordings, uh, probably starting this week. And henceforth, unless life gets in the way again, we shall see. But again... Uh, thanks for being along for the ride. And for tonight, this is Bye from Brad. And Bye from Corey. We will see you guys next time. Bye.